Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. This is the prayer of a man who is losing his battle with an overwhelming adversary. Trouble and distress has become constant for him because of an attack from an overpowering foe. That's what the word afflicted means here. In Hebrew poetry, affliction implies an enemy which is stronger than you are. These words are words written first by David, the ancient king of Israel, who was a man whose life was filled with the highest highs and the very, very lowest lows. He knew what it was like to be on top of the world to be in charge of everything and to be thriving. And he knew what it was to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do some of you know what that's like? These words came from a moment like that. He had been ruling and and had the favor of all the people, but then, then the people turned. His own family turned against him. There was an uprising that drove him out of the city where he was in charge. He had to flee into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, he had to feign madness to escape the attacks of his adversaries, which were constant. He was on the run, terrified and afraid. And maybe you know in some measure what it's like to live with a foe like that. Maybe not literally, but figuratively, do you know what it is to be under attack emotionally or to have your own mind turn against you? Do some of you know that? To feel like there's nowhere to go to be safe. David often reached out to God in moments like this when he made this prayer, the way to God was also blocked because he was fully aware that he had a hand in his miserable situation, that it was his sin and guilt that in part put him there And so in this moment, he is afflicted. And that's what affliction is. And some of us here know that. That's manageable when you have a friend. You can face affliction when you have family right there supporting you. When you have the brothers and the sisters that God gives you in the community of faith, then it doesn't matter. Bring whatever you want against me. I'm okay. You know that, some of you. Do some of you know it? But look, in David's moment, the affliction was compounded by this impossible fact. Look at it. I am lonely. Do you know that loneliness kills people? I know some of you know that professionally. That when when all of the support and all of the companionship and all of uh, the, the the people who are right there with you are taken away, then even the smallest threat can become too much. And that's where David is when he writes this. And what I want you to understand this morning is that this is exactly what the enemy wants. Uh, Wants us not only to face affliction, but have to face it alone. And it may come as a surprise to you to understand that this combination of affliction and loneliness is far more prominent than you'd guess. And I know this because I listen to people When I first arrived at Summit two years back, I began to get to know some of the people who were involved in this community. And I was sitting across the table from one man who seemed to me to have it all, a a happy family, an incredibly successful career, the regard and the respect of all of the people who knew him in this church. And after our small talk finished, I said to him, I want to be a good pastor to you and you need to tell me how to do that. He paused, he looked at me to see if I was sincere, and then he said, I am all alone. 
and nobody knows it. You and everybody else thinks I have it all together. And I haven't been able to open up and share this with anyone else. But the truth is the pain that I carry, which is too much for me to bear, is something that I work out without letting anyone else know. And I've not told anyone else this, just you. I am isolated. Now, if you're trying to figure out who is this person that Christian was meeting with, <laughs> let me tell you, there have been a dozen conversations that are just the same in essence since then. Where someone who has been managing to appear to have it all together finally is vulnerable enough to say, I don't have it all together and no one knows I'm alone. And every time what happens for me is a combination of things. I feel so much joy that God has given me the role to hear of such things. And then my heart is shattered because I know what it's like to feel all alone in affliction. I went through it years ago. Thank God I've been delivered from that. But then the third thing that happens in my mind every time is I think that is exactly what the devil wants. If you ask the question of the New Testament, why is the world such a mess? It is unabashedly, unequivocally clear to the writers of scripture. The, the world feels like such a mess and it seems to be in the midst of a battle because there is a battle raging all around us. Our earthly eyes may not see it, but there is a spirit at work, a power, a malevolence, a kind of force that is, uh, that is objectively real, even though not visible, which is aligned to keep us in misery. And one of the best tricks that the devil has, and use whichever name you want, is to tell us the kind of lies which when we believe them, lead us to be all alone. And what I wanna show you this morning is what those lies look like. The lies that we believe that are put into our minds that keep us alone. And then beside them, I wanna set the truth, which if we will accept it, liberates us from those lies and liberates us from isolation, which is what God wants more than anything else. And I wanna show you the truth that comes from our master, Jesus, uh, Jesus taught himself about the reality of the powers of evil in the world and even by name addressed what the devil is like. And I wanna start there this morning with you by just looking at one line of his teaching from John chapter eight, verse 44, where Jesus says the following about the devil. Look at this. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said these words confronting a group who against their own will and wishes kept going in the wrong direction and it hurt them and Jesus knew it. And he knew that it was to the degree that they themselves were unaware of the influence of this liar that they found themselves going in the wrong way. In, in Greek, devil is diabolos. And that's a noun that comes from a verb, diabolain. And I've made much of this over the last few weeks because of how helpful it is for us to understand the meaning of this word. In, in Greek, diabolain, the verb, it has three principal meanings. In, in one sense, diabolain is the verb which means to calumniate. And that's a, a fancy and a rather precise way of describing a particular kind of lie. A lie is that moment where you Declare something to be true which doesn't correspond with reality. That's a lie. To calumniate is a little bit more particular than that. It's to do just that, but with the goal of ruining someone's reputation. That's what to calumniate means. It is to slander. 
It is to tell a story about one person to another with the goal of separating those two by undermining the trust that one had in that other so that a relationship going forward is no longer possible. I'm absolutely sure that even if you've never heard the word calumniate, many of you in here have suffered because of someone who calumniated. Yeah? Someone who told a lie about you and it ruined a relationship and you didn't even know it. That is what Jesus is saying here, the devil does. And he does it, look, because he is a liar. That's his nature. And wherever you are in, in, insofar as believing in spiritual things in the world, I'm sure you would recognize this, that there are many lies which are pervasive right now, which if believed, result in divisions between people. Yes? Which make us want to get away from others, even though... If we're strictly honest, we don't know them. There's a lie that's been told and we want to get away. And that's the work of the liar. And he does that to separate us from God himself and from one another. Because when we're connected to one another, we experience the unique joy of being in the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ. Have some of you experienced that? It makes me so happy I start to tear up. And you're thinking, oh, lots of things make him tear up. <laughs> it's true, but, but that joy. Or the pleasure of discovering that that person who was a stranger before, now that you know them, they teach you something that you couldn't have known otherwise. Or you, you open up to someone and afterward they say, my life is richer because I got to see the true you and I didn't see you before. And you get to work stronger together because of it. And you can follow Jesus only when you know other people. And the devil wants none of that to happen. Did you hear me say that? You can follow Jesus only when you're with other people. I didn't say that uh, carelessly. You may have heard this. Jesus said this to his first followers, a new commandment I give you. Do some of you remember hearing these words of his? After these folks wanted to follow him, as many of you are seeking to follow him, Jesus knew it was time for him to boil it all down to one thing, a new commandment I give you, he said to them. Do you know where he went with this, some of you? That you should love one another just as I've loved you, you should also love one another. That was Jesus' new commandment for those people who would want to follow him. Isn't it magnificent that we follow a Lord who says it all boiled down to this, love each other. Isn't that amazing? And you cannot do it by yourself. It is literally impossible to love one another when you're isolated. The devil knows it, and that's why he wants to lie to you and to all of us so that we keep our distance from one another. Uh, let, let's, let's see how this works in action. Some of you are aware of the story which with, which with the Bible begins in Genesis, the story of God creating a paradise, a garden, and in it placing a man and then telling that man, Adam, you can have absolutely everything. I made it for you. There's one exception. It's the tree in the center of the garden because it's not good for you. If you eat of it, you will die. That's the, the first story that we read in the Bible after the creation. And then appears a serpent. Any guesses who this serpent symbolizes? The liar. It's an ancient symbol of evil. It's the liar appears. And the liar's first words in the Bible, I want you to look at them, are recorded in Genesis 3, verse 1. It's a question that he asks of the woman. Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? This is a slippery question. I tried to make it sound slippery in English. It's way more so in Hebrew. It's a question that starts with, did God really say this? 
It's a question that aims, even in the way it's asked, at undermining confidence between this woman and the God who made her and loves her. It's calumniation. It's an attempt to divide. Are you not supposed to eat from any tree in the garden? Now, this is a very tricky question. It's hard to answer because God told the man and the woman they could eat from every tree except for one. And so she stumbles over the answer. We can eat of all the trees but one because this one will make us die. She responds to this slanted question with the truth. And then the second line of the liar, look at verse four, you will not die. That's a straight up lie. Because what happens after the fruit is taken, this slant against God works its way into the creation. So from now on, death is a part of of God's good order. And he continues, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The subtext of that lie is God doesn't want you to have every good thing. There's something good which God wants to reserve just for himself. And the reason he told you not to eat of that tree is he's selfish. He wants to keep you from having the good of your eyes being opened. That's why he said don't eat of the fruit. He is aiming at undermining the confidence that this woman has in the God who made her and who loves her. He's saying don't trust. God's trying to withhold And this is how the liar operates, planting in our minds things which, strictly speaking, are not true, which are aimed at one thing, isolating us, dividing us up from the people that God has put in our lives to be close to us, and dividing us up from God himself. The outcome of her decision not to trust God, but instead to believe the liar, is very plain. In verse 7, then, after they eat, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now this symbolizes something tragic and extraordinarily significant. Before this moment, before they ate, at the end of the second chapter of Genesis, the story which is told is that when this man and woman were put together in the garden, listen, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And that means that they were okay with who they were. That means they had no impulse at all to hide their true self from the other. That means there was no need at that moment yet for covering up who they actually were because they were absolutely fine with exactly who God had made them to be. Have you ever been around a person who who you don't need to cover yourself up from? Yeah or no? Yeah? Have you ever been naked and unashamed? I mean, figuratively, okay, let's not go there. But (laughs) I mean it, that you were with someone, a friend, and you took off every pretense, and you stopped being the person that you're always pretending to be, and you felt okay, because your friend looked at you and said, I see exactly who you are, and you have no need to be ashamed, because I accept you. Have you ever had that? Some of you had that with your mom and your dad. And if you did, you should thank God for it right now. You had that with your mom? Some of you had that with your grandparents. You had that that place in your life where you could go and sit on grandma's lap and no matter what, you knew you could just be you and she loved you just as you are. You were naked and unafraid and that's how God made us to be. And not until the liar 
sowed some seeds of doubt and distrust in the benevolence of God, did we turn away to our own destruction? And the truth is, yeah, our eyes were opened, but they were opened in the wrong way. They were opened to see something which, strictly speaking, was a lie and to be confused about it, so we, we, we thought it was the truth. And that is exactly how the devil works. The devil wants to tell us lies so that when we believe them, the outcome is that we're ashamed. The outcome is that we're not with each other anymore. The outcome, listen now, is we even hide from God. This is what happens in the story. After they sow on the fig leaves, God himself comes in the garden like he always did. But this time, instead of running to be with God, they run away and they hide in the shadows. And God says, why are you hiding? Who told you that you're naked? And God made us, God made you to be unashamed And the devil wants to lie to you, and he has, so that you hide. And he wants you to hide because isolation is his goal, because isolation kills you, and that's what he wants. And I know there are so many of you who carry this. There are others here this morning who don't, who are confident and secure and and good. If you are, listen, because there's someone in your life that doesn't feel like that and who needs your confidence. So you listen up. There are lies which the devil tells. And I'm gonna, I wanna show you four of them. Uh, and I want you to see them with, with clarity so that you are equipped to attend to the moments when he's telling you lies to, to draw you away from others. And these are the lies which many have believed. Let's look at them one at a time. The first lie which the devil tells that we believe is this. You are unacceptable. The real you, which is buried beneath your success, which is pushed down by the carefully managed exterior, which you work so hard to maintain, that you isn't enough. If anyone saw beneath it to the real you, they would reject what they see because you, you are unacceptable. And this is his lie, twisting a truth which all of us know that right now, I'm not the man that I should be. Do you know that about yourself? that I'm not the woman that I should be. Do you feel that you want to improve? That's true. And the devil twists it so that you believe a lie, which is it's because there's something wrong with you fundamentally and you'll never be right because you are, you are unacceptable so that you grow up believing that no one could really accept the real you. Can you remember the first time that you managed your outward uh, self? You misrepresented you to try to gain the approval of others. Can, Can you remember that? For me, I was seven years old. I was at the park at the end of the street, Evergreen Park, and I was trying to shoot baskets, and then some older kids came onto the basketball courts, and they had black T-shirts with graphics, rock and roll shirts on. And then they said to me, who's your favorite band? (laughs) My favorite at that moment was John Denver, (laughs) Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Joan Baez. And I knew that that wouldn't, get me any points with these kids. On the benches, I saw it spray painted, Led Zeppelin, ACDC. I said that, Led Zeppelin and ACDC are my favorite. And I was in, and I, I didn't know any of their music, but what I knew is that they didn't accept me, but they accepted the mask which I put up. And that's how it works. And it starts with, which is your favorite band? But then it moves along from there as we grow up. 
So that in every social setting, everyone, the devil will say, you are not accepted. So that you pretend to be someone that you're not. And you do it at work. You do it with your friends in school. You do it in in church. We do it here with each other. You do it with your spouse and with your family. And the trick that the devil works in that moment is if you happen to get any love or affection, you know deep down inside that it's not for you. It's for the mask. And so you just become more and more lonely and alone. And the devil loves it. Now, once that lie has had some time to strengthen in your heart, then the devil tells a second lie to you. And it's this. Only you struggle. And here I keep this intentionally broad because the form in which this lie works is as varied as the number of people in this room. For every one of you, you have a particular thing which you don't like about you deep down inside. It's a a mistake that you keep stumbling onto or some character flaw that doesn't feel right or, or some pattern or some kind of addiction that you wish you could escape and there it plagues you and the devil not only says you're not acceptable, you're the only one so that now you're confident that no one around you, no one else struggles with this and you certainly can't let on to the people around you because if they knew then, oh, what would they do? Of course, they would only have one more reason to look down on you. Best to keep it to yourself that you're facing this hidden shame. They would never understand. Imagine how much worse it would feel to have to let on that you're worse than everyone else. Don't let it out. Believing this lie, you try to bear the the truth about this struggle of yours all by yourself. So that what happens absolutely is it only gets worse because you can't fix it by yourself, but there you are isolated and the devil loves it. So a couple that comes to church is trying to hide from everyone how miserable and sad their marriage is because they can't figure out how to communicate with others. But looking at the people around them, they think, well, they have it so much better. And so they keep their struggle hidden. Trying to manage it alone isolates them and makes the whole thing worse. And if you think, is he talking about us? I'm talking about a lot of us. It's the same with addictions. A man is struggling with an addiction to pornography. And he feels so ashamed and so he keeps hiding it. And believing that he's the only one who struggles virtually guarantees that he will remain stuck. Only you struggle. So keep it to yourself. That's what the devil says. He uses this lie to keep you from receiving the help God wants you to have from the people who are near you, whatever the details of the struggle are, whatever it is, no matter if you think it's worse than everyone else's or you think, gosh, it's so small. I don't have the right to struggle with this. I'm the only one who's making such a big deal out of this small thing. Whatever it is, the devil is clever to make you think you're the only one. You might even be thinking, I'm the only one who doesn't really need help. I've got this managed all by myself. Another lie. I'm the only one who doesn't need relationships. I can make it all by myself. Keep believing that lie, and you will one day say, like David did in his prayer, turn to me and be gracious to me. I am alone and I'm afflicted. If you can believe these two, which you can, then then there's a third lie which the devil plants in the, the fertile soil of your heart, which he has in his hands, and it's this one. God doesn't want you. Until you change, He wants nothing to do with you. Stay on the sidelines. You can't get on the path of true faith until you've sorted out these things that make you unlovable by God. Maybe it's your doubt even that you've been convinced keeps God from wanting you. Believing this lie 
You sit on the virtual bench in the community of faith and it's miserable to be alone like that, but you've learned to manage the outward image and to reinforce your sense that God is not interested in having you near. What he does is he puts some other Christian in your life to whom you compare yourself unfavorably. Does anybody else do that in here? Let's see him. Someone right now is thinking, I didn't have the courage to raise my hand like that other person. I'm such a bad Christian. (laughs) When I first became a pastor, I was in a small group with five guys, and we met every week to pray in my uh, kitchen. We'd meet early in the morning to pray. And, And for a year, we did this. After the first year, one of the guys felt very vulnerable one morning and opened up to say, guys, during this last year, Every time you share, and he pointed at the guy across the table from him, every time you share, I feel so jealous. Your faith is so much more mature than mine. You're so much more successful in your career. And your family is so together. And your kids, they're managed well. And you are such a good Christian. And I have to confess this morning that I've been jealous and envious of you. And it's made me feel like I'm worthless. He says this through tears. I'm sorry that I've been doing this, but I have to be honest. You've made me believe that God couldn't want someone like me. And then after we sat there, stunned by this confession, which was magnificent, he turns and says, I don't know how to say this. I've been doing the exact same thing with you for this whole year. (laughs) And it's so good that you laugh because you're laughing at the devil when you laugh like that. The devil wants us to compare ourselves to other Christians and feel like they must be so much better because then he has them doing the same thing and keeping us isolated and apart. It, It completely robs us of the joy of being with each other, which is what God made us for. It makes us completely impotent when it comes to serving God, which is what he wants us to do. But the devil's a good liar. And with these three firmly in our minds and hearts, the fourth lie, which is, it's the most obvious, but it, he'll tell it to us and we'll feel it, is that you are alone. No one else is or ever will be with you in this, he says, and we believe it. No one wants to be with you and no one could be. No one could help you because you have to face this alone. The only way forward here is for you to rely on your own strength and resources. You've got to do this completely alone. And the fact that you feel as you do, this is one of his clever tricks, is clear proof that either God isn't real or he's turned his back on you. Forgetting about you, abandoning you, you feel alone because you are alone. This is the fourth lie that the devil tells to keep you isolated. And when you begin to believe it, there are few things that hurt worse. And I can tell you this because I have in my own experience, thank God 20 years ago, but years of believing this. And even as around me, people would have believed that I was well-connected. And even as others would have thought that I would feel confident in my faith. And only when I began to open up did I find that others like me and like David could say to God, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am alone. I'm lonely and afflicted. I'm really, really thankful that you chose to come here to church this morning because I want more than anything else to tell you the truth up against these lies. More than anything else, I want to be the one who who God uses to open your heart and mind 
to the truth that stands against the lies that the liar tells to ruin you so that I can be simply a mouthpiece for, for what is real and true up against the lies that the devil tells. All four of them, look at them. They're all lies. They're completely lies. And the truth that, that is told so magnificently in the surprising and shocking story which the Bible tells is that these lies which the devil speaks, they are every one of them exactly the opposite of the truth that comes if a person will fix her eyes on Jesus. If instead of looking at the world around her, listening to the voices that come from out there and then in here, she looks at Jesus, the one who loved her and gave himself for her. The one who was, had the glory and authority of God himself in heaven, but did not consider that glory and that power something to be grasped, but instead, because of the love that he had for this creation, which he created to be close to him and together with each other, he came down out of heaven and became a man born as a little baby in a humble manger in Jerusalem. And he walked the road that every human person walks except without sin so that he could be with us in our loneliness and in our pain. And then on that road, he comes to say the truth against every one of the devil's lies, not just with his mouth, but with his life. And he says it. He says, first of all, to, to that lie that you're not acceptable. He says, no, you are accepted. And that's the truth. And I say it to you this morning with full confidence, not that you might be accepted or that you are acceptable, but rather you are accepted. And that is the truth. It's the truth because when God in Christ walked on that lonely road all the way up to the hill on Golgotha and on Good Friday was crucified with a twisting of justice, he took upon himself the sin and weight of all the world for one reason, for love of you and for everyone. And that's the truth. And he did that because you are accepted. The you that you really are, the you that you've learned to hide with all of your mistakes, yes. With every one of the sins that you've accomplished, yes, indeed. The ones that you did after you came to faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe in him, not whoever was right, but whoever would believe. God proves his love for us in that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear that? I didn't make that up. That's from the Bible. It means you are accepted just as you are. And then if, if, you, if you think for a moment, uh, but, but here I am with the, the secret sins that only I know about. Could it be true? It's just me. No, the second lie that you're the only one is also a lie. Everyone, absolutely everyone is in this together. And that's the truth. Everyone struggles. Of course, no one walks the same road as you or I have to walk. Your experiences are yours alone. But one way in which we all live in solidarity is we all struggle. The hardest thing you have to face is the hardest thing that you have to face. Don't compare how hard it is for others. The toughest thing for you is your toughest thing. And what the cross does is it takes us all before the glory of Christ and says you are all standing on exactly the same ground which is all of you are in this struggle alone. And the solidarity that we embrace in our struggle is overpowered by this third truth, which is that for all of us equally who stand before the cross of Christ, every one of us, God wants you. And take this truth into your heart this morning. Take it into your heart. Jesus is the one who gave himself for you. Why? Because he loves you. Paul said that Jesus, the one who loved me, and gave himself up for me. 
You as you are, God wants you. His love for us in that while we were yet enemies proves that there's nothing that we ourselves have the power to do to separate us from the love of God, from the desire of God for you just as you are. And it's true. Jesus is the good shepherd and every one of us who is a sheep who's wandered should know that he comes after us to embrace us and rescue us. Why? Because God wants you. Jesus is the banquet host who sets a meal with the best possible food you could ever, ever imagine. If you're gluten-free, it's fine at this celebration, all right? But there you will have the blessing of the richest feast, and you will have the host, Jesus, at the head of the table, and he looks right at you and says, I want you at my table. There's a seat for every one of us, and for everyone ever, there's a seat. God wants you. He came into the world to rescue the wayward and the lost because he wants you. The, f- the fourth lie that you are alone is absolutely the opposite of the truth because the truth is you are never alone. You never are alone. Do you know, Christian, that I feel alone? Yes, I know it. You never are alone. Do you have any idea, Christian, how hard it is to feel isolated in a crowd? Yes, I know exactly what that feels like. I promise I know exactly what it feels like. You're never alone. Do you know that I'm the only person, I I, I have this struggle, I have this challenge, I've been this man, I've been this woman. You are not ever, you're never ever alone. And the reason I know this is when Christ died and then rose again, he made a promise to the disciples and it was that he would be with them even to the end of the age, that there would never ever be a time where they were separable from his spirit. Nothing in all of creation, it's not sin, not death, not angels or demons can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Literally, no lie of the devil can keep you away from the grace and presence of God in Christ. Look at this promise from Deuteronomy 13. 31, this is verse six. I believe this looks forward to the promise that I just declared. And if you would take this into your heart and memorize it and make this, make this the truth that stands beside the lie that you're alone. Ready? Be strong and courageous. I know one thing about every one of you. You can be strong and courageous. I know it. Do not be afraid or terrified because of the enemy. What if the enemy's too strong? Doesn't matter. Fine, the enemy's much stronger than you. You do not need to be afraid. You can be strong and courageous. Why? Here it is. For the Lord your God goes with you. Will he ever turn away from me? And someone will think this. No, never. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Isn't that good? It's the truth. The truth is you are accepted. The truth is everyone struggles. The truth is God wants you. And the truth is you are never, ever alone. And that is the truth that we must embrace so that we stand against the lies of the enemy. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel, the truth that God, you in Christ came to rescue us because of the great love with which you've loved us so that from now on, every one of us is accepted by you that we are beloved, that you want us, and that we're never, ever alone. God, would you take this message, this truth, and make it grow in our hearts so that the, the allure and the temptation 
And the failures of isolation would no longer have any power over us, but rather we would stand in confidence knowing that we are not alone. Even as we are lonely and struggle with the continued feeling that we're isolated, would you declare the truth to our hearts through your spirit that none of us is alone because of your grace and your love and your mercy for us? Would you help us be strong? Would you help us believe it? Would you help us shout amen from the center of our hearts so that together we declare the truth that you are the one who loves us and that you are stronger than death. God, would you send your spirit into us to do that now in Jesus' name? Amen.